Can you hear that? There's a fly buzzing around my around my head. Flies <laughs> around my head. circle in the dead. Hey everybody. Hi. <laughs> my name's Katie. And I'm Emily. And this is the Soundhouse Podcast. Um, it's been a long time since we recorded one of these. It's been over a year. Yeah, and I think we've, we've tried to plan doing one like every once in a while, but just things get in the way and life happens. So we're back. And what are we going to talk about first? Uh, well, the last record that we did was we skipped ahead on the, the list to OK Computer um, because it was its uh, 20th anniversary last year. And it was also um, the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band's 50th anniversary. So mm-hmm. we kind of missed out on that. But it's 51 <laughs> this year. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, we're older and wiser, so hopefully this will uh, be more enjoyable to listen to. <laughs> I'll throw some facts at you that we found on Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Isn't that what podcasters do, though? I mean, we have access to the internet. That's just... That's... Don't fact check us, though. Yeah, please don't. <laughs> or maybe do. <laughs> yeah, actually help us grow and mature as, I love as podcasters. Yes. So I think in the last... Yeah, the last episode, we didn't really talk about the accolades that OK Computer got. Um, because, I mean, it's on the list for a reason. Because... You know, one of the greatest five, 500 greatest albums of all time or something, according to Rolling Stone. Um, just like Sgt. Pepper says. There are a lot of relations, relations, correlations, <laughs> I don't know, between uh, Radiohead and the Beatles. Because, I mean, Katie and I always say, like, Radiohead is our generation's The Beatles, which I think is true. And we probably mentioned in a previous podcast, if I remember. Yeah, um, I mean, both bands and, you know, their releases are hailed as, like, some of the most important and influential of any that's been put out. I mean, I guess in rock music, anyway. But um, it's interesting to think about, like, what puts an album on these lists? Like, what makes it... Culturally relevant. Yeah. Like, why is it so acclaimed? Is it, like, a social cultural thing or if it is it it's political relevance but like when you think about that's like at a certain time in in history so it's kind of like a time capsule in some ways so I feel like in order for something to really like hold up over time it needs to somehow stay relevant but how does one do that I don't know (laughs) that's an interesting question like I was gonna say something that I don't remember to say uh, yeah, so what else do uh, OK Computer and Sgt. Peppers have in common? I think it, in a lot of ways it was like the perfect storm. Like there needed to be a change. Like when the Beatles came about, not not even just Sgt. Peppers, but just when the Beatles became the Beatles. <laughs> I mean, their image was maintained and like kind of created by Brian Epstein. Like, you kind of don't think of it, but the Beatles, in the beginning, they were wearing, you know, leather jackets, and they had the greaser haircuts, they were playing in deep, dark dives. They were teddy boys, yeah. Yeah, and they kind of... But compared to Radiohead's image, Radiohead never really had one. It was just, like, laid back. I don't maybe, know maybe, <laughs> maybe not during the Pablo Honey days. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> that was something else. Um, but yeah, like musically, I'm trying to think of what they have in common. And the only thing that stands out to me is that, um, they both, they both, <laughs> it's been a while since I've, <laughs> since I've spoken. Okay. Uh, they both use the Mellotron. Oh yeah. I yeah. think it's, um, I, I don't know what songs like on Sgt. Pepper's actually use the Mellotron, but I know Strawberry's Fields Forever, which was released, uh, first like before the lp as a single with um penny lane it uses a like a a flute setting Mm. on the mellotron and that's what you hear in the background and uh i think it's paranoid android that johnny greenwood uses the mellotron with the um you know get that choir sound oh yeah that's really cool and it's like just generally the beatles they 
and Radiohead, they used instruments and things that weren't considered instruments to their advantage. Like, they're both experimental, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think, I mean, I think all the members of the band, ex- except Ringo, uh, <laughs> experimented with different in- instruments. And I think, like, George Harrison, like, focused mostly on, like, Indian instruments. Sitar. Yeah, the yeah. sitar. Like, the sitar to George... George Harrison using the sitar is equivalent to, like, Johnny Greenwood using, like, the Martineau. <laughs> in Radiohead, yeah. yeah. So that's cool. Yeah, there's technological experimentation, like, in the studio, using the studio itself as, like, an instrument, I guess. As, like, an artist's playground. Yeah. Really? To, yeah, uh, like a laboratory. And then and progressing naturally from the last album that they made. And the Beatles, w- it was Revolver, and then... In Radiohead's case, it was the bands. Mm-hmm. So. I wanted to talk about concept albums because people always say like the Beatles, like they were the first one to really have like solid concept album. When you think about it, Sgt. Pepper's is kind of like a toss up of a bunch of different things. Like it's not really a solid concept album. Like maybe they had other ones that were more firm in that. But I was reading about it, and like you can even look it up. Like Frank Sinatra concept album like even before that when the Beatles were like babies like there were artists experimenting that way but the only difference is they didn't write their lyrics I think lyrics was a huge part of like the storytelling of um like when I'm 64 um yeah Sgt. Pepper's like it's autobiographical it's it's a combination of many things, but the Beatles were not the first to have a concept album. Yeah, I think I, I, I heard an interview with, I think it was John, who said, like, it, we never said it was a concept album. Like, the only thing that, like, kind of strings th- things together is, like, the album cover, which is mm-hmm. kind of like vaudevillian, you know, like a group. And then um, the actual song, Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band, and then the reprise. And, I mean, Mr. Kite is kind of, you know, has that sort of, like... Vibe. Yeah, the circus <laughs> attraction type of thing. But even, like, John Lennon was like, uh, I didn't say it was a concept album. <laughs> I, that was really horrible. <laughs> I'm so sorry I did that. <laughs> yeah, actually, your impressions are much better than mine. We'll, we'll throw a few in there. I'm a bit shy <laughs> right now. I'm going to do the rest of the uh, episode as Ringo. Ringo. <laughs> Peace and love. Peace and love. No, I'm not going to do it. You know? Okay, before I forget, um, concept albums, concept albums. It was more, Sgt. Pepper's was more of a thematic thing. Like they, <laughs> Katie's sipping her coffee really loudly. <laughs> it, they kind of latched on to this theme. And we could talk about the, the guy that inspired it. Actually, his name was Sergeant Pepper. <laughs> really? And he was Canadian. That, yeah. That's so random. How did they meet? Like It was in, like, 1966. The Beatles had, like, this big do, like, show in Toronto. And he was, like, assigned as one of their kind of, like, security guard. He was an OPP officer. Oh, yeah, because Paul McCartney has um a badge, like... Uh, yeah, on the cover of the album. And yeah. apparently that is, you know, the Mr. Pepper's... <laughs> thing like they had a sort of friendship and although Sergeant Pepper he didn't actually like the Beatles music or like their ideas and stuff at the time but they were kind of charmed by each other this is the story that his granddaughter tells because this was some article that came out probably around the time the 50th anniversary thing happened oh yeah but yeah I thought that was interesting I was just looking up like facts and stuff and I was like what it's Canadian, like he's a Canadian OPP officer. That's cool. Yeah, I always wondered because it's such a long name and it's kind of Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Eccentric. Yeah, yeah, I always thought it was like a play on words because there's a story that Paul McCartney told. I believe it was Paul anyway. There, um, the band was on a flight going somewhere and there were little packets of salt and pepper and, and it said S and P. Oh, what's this? You know, and <laughs> sorry. <laughs> what does this mean? <laughs> and uh, it was like some play on words, you know, salt and pepper, and Paul misheard it as Sergeant Pepper, and I've never that stuck that. with him. That's yeah, so it could be a combination of a lot of things. I mean, they were taking, you know, stories 
and newspaper articles, yeah, anything. Yeah. Anything like externally that inspired them and they were using that as inspiration. So, you know, they were just gathering it from everywhere. So a similarity between uh, Radiohead, <laughs> to bring them up again, and the Beatles is they took a lot of inspiration from the world outside, from news articles, from weird miscellaneous items. <laughs> <laughs> remember when we saw radiohead she's giving me this look right now okay she's like i want to bring up radiohead she <laughs> she's just psyching herself up but yes we saw radiohead what date was it katie july 19th and 20th 2018 the best days of my entire life i'm like, serious I'm not, when i say that uh, I'm yeah not i'm not joking, joking. <laughs> i'm not joking <laughs> It was beyond our expectations, but yeah, I, like, I'm almost speechless when I start talking about it. I know, it's it's been, already been a month, and it's crazy to think like the last podcast that we did was over a year ago, and we're talking about OK Computer, and like so much has happened since then. We're older, we're wiser, and we've seen Radiohead twice. We went from zero to twice, <laughs> so yeah, it was special. <laughs> it was. Um, another similarity between uh, Sgt. Pepper and OK Computer um, is the fact that, like, both albums, I think they're, like, lauded as being, like, progressive. Mm. Because, just because, I, I assume solely because of the level of experimentation and stuff. But um, I think, like, unofficially, Sgt. Pepper's is, like, called proto-progressive. Because it became, it, it came before, you know, the prog rock of, like, the 70s and stuff. That kind of um, ins- inspired certain aspects of OK Computer, which is funny. So culturally, Sgt. Pepper and the Beatles were revolutionary. I mean, that's a whole like blanket statement just across a band. Yeah, People do that all the time. But from a cultural perspective, but also from a business perspective, like everything was kind of spot on. Management... Yeah like curating an image Mm -hmm. and i think it's it's interesting to think about like if radiohead and if the beatles and probably lots of other um albums on this list if they hadn't been groups or musicians that were successful like financially at first then they probably wouldn't have had the ability to experiment and stuff later on like because there's some security when a band is bringing in money to a label. So they're like, yeah, you know, fine, whatever, as long as you, you know, fulfill the main aspects of your contract, then, you know, I guess you can screw around and take like 58 hours to record one song or whatever (laughs) it was. I think it was, uh, it took that long for Strawberry Fields Forever. Or maybe it was Penny Lane. I can't remember which one, but yeah, it was like they took an unprecedented amount of time to record the first couple songs in, during the Sgt. Pepper sessions. And um, I, I read somewhere that um, George Martin said that uh, the the biggest mistake he made was actually listening to the label when uh, the label was like urging the band to, because they were taking so much time in the studio, there was all this, um, what's the word? Confusion? No, there was all this, like, uh, like the newspapers and stuff were like, oh, the Beatles breaking up, like, what's going on? Oh. So, like, to kind of, you know, dispel those rumors, the label wanted the Beatles to release something. Like, they didn't have enough for an album, so that's why they had to release uh, the singles, like Strawberry Fields Forever and Penny Lane, before Sgt. Pepper's was even finished. So, oh. yeah. And it's funny, because I think there was speculation after... Um, those singles were released that the album is gonna that, that it was gonna tank because Strawberry Fields Forever and Penny Lane were like such a departure from Revolver and what people were used to so mm. you know and, and that, the same thing happened with OK Computer like people speculated like at first oh, this is gonna be like financially it's not gonna do well like not that that means anything like does it mean that the music is you know, poorly made or written. It just, like, it reflects lots of different things, but it's funny because both of those albums are so highly acclaimed now that they're like, they change the face of music forever. 
It's kind of undeniable at this point. I think one thing about watching documentaries and reading articles about things, like, there's always going to be people, like, I'm really against, like, the Beatles didn't change anything, or, like, they're absolutely my god. (laughs) Yeah. There has to be some middle ground, and I hope with, I don't know, our discussions on these things, we kind of can cover... The in right. between area, yeah. the gray area, <laughs> the gray area of yeah. Beatles. Yeah. I want to talk about the cover a bit first because, like, I think we like we have a copy of the LP somewhere, like the actual like record of it. Oh yeah, and uh, I, I I can't name like I don't remember the names of all the people that are on the actual cover, but the idea for it was interesting. Like, Paul wanted something that. Like, it was the the record sleeve, like, the art and everything. It, like, it was part of a whole... It was part of the whole package. Like, mm-hmm. he, so he would, you know, buy a record when when he was growing up. And he would take the bus home and he would be looking at it and, like, really admiring it and wondering, you know, what the music inside sounded like. And so the, the like, LP art was, uh, like, it was important to the Beatles at that point. Because, it, and it's funny because, like, with the the popularity of streaming and stuff like that i feel like sometimes album art kind of is not important it gets lost and it's like it's just not quality yeah it's an afterthought really yeah for a lot of like disposable like music because there's not a physical copy yeah um (laughs) (laughs) hold on a second yeah there's a (laughs) there's a cat plucking a box no but it's interesting say hello buddy He's really shy. All right, let's go. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> See you later. But as you were saying, the album covers and like the whole LP, it was an experience in a package. Like, I remember dad, our dad, um, when he was probably not like a young teenager, if like 14, 15, I don't know when Elton John's Yellow Brick Road came out, but I remember my dad was telling me how like that was the first album he saw and was like, I need to save up my money to buy this because the album cover looks so cool. And he, like, read over all the inside sleeves and stuff. And, like, seeing the joy in his eyes, like, my dad understands that LP was an experience. Yeah. Like, it, it's, it's reversed now. It's like, you listen to the music and you see, oh, this artist and this whatever, they choose to design their their look and feel of what they're creating. It's The aesthetic. It's, yeah, it's a whole different experience now. Yeah, and it's... Uh, it's kind of cool like that the band kind of took on this alter ego I think because they were just tired of being the Beatles at that point Mm -hmm. because they had already decided not to stop touring because they couldn't hear themselves and it was just chaotic yeah it was just too much and uh, it's funny because while I was uh, looking up stuff about the album there's a picture of Paul McCartney's dad uh, who was in dance band in like the 20s or the 30s and the picture is really similar to the one on the cover so yeah he's taking stuff from his personal life using it as inspiration that's really cool I, we didn't mention the artists who designed uh, they were like British pop artists uh, Peter Blake and Jen Hayworth Howworth? Hayworth I don't know what to say <laughs> but um Another thing Paul McCartney said in an interview was he, like, when you think about albums, like, it doesn't cost more to have a really detailed-looking album cover. And if you look at Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, it has so much detail in it. Like, you could get caught in, like, looking at all the faces and everything for hours, and I think that he, he loved the idea of that. Mm-hmm. It was very... I don't know, because the whole theme of the album is very imaginative and, like, whimsical. And, like, you can kind of just imagine, like, a child in a picture book, like, looking through all of these images. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's cool. Yeah, it's, it's hard to listen to this album and not be placed in a good mood for, you know, a short period of time. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like it created its own world, which mm-hmm. is probably what they were trying to achieve in some sense. Um, a few months ago... Emily and I went to see um, Peter Asher. He was doing kind of like a like a throwback, like remember the good old days um, with, what was his name? There's Peter and Gordon, which were a separate yeah. group, and Chad and Jeremy. Yeah, and which, we saw... Yeah, both British groups. Yeah, we saw Peter and Jeremy. Jeremy. Okay, I keep <laughs> thinking of. But um, it was interesting because... Uh, 
he actually ran um, the Indica bookstore in London with a few friends. And uh, Peter Asher had a sister. What was her name? Uh, Jane. Yeah, Jane Asher. She was an actress and like a public personality. Um, and she dated Paul McCartney for a time. And Paul McCartney actually lived uh, with the Ashers like in the top floor of their house in London for a while. And it was cool to hear um, his stories about like hearing like early 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 Beatles songs like just bare bones yeah recorded on like a really like ancient like four track recorder it was and and he played them and he he had some stories about the Indica bookshop and how um John Lennon Yoko Ono met there which is it was cool cool. so we have uh six degrees of separation between us and (laughs) (laughs) and George Harrison (laughs) the most important Beatle yeah we, in my knows. opinion. If you've listened to our previous podcast, you know that George Harrison is our favorite Beatle. Anyway. Yeah, the Indica, Indica bookstore, I didn't know, like, anything about it. But it, it was very culturally relevant at the time. You know, all the beats, beat poets gathered there, all, like, the weird artist-type people. Yeah, it was... The counterculture. Yeah. the 60s. You know what's actually scaring me? <laughs> the fact that... Um... The '90s is as old to, is as old to us now as the '60s was in the '90s. Does that make sense? I have to think about that for a second. The '90s. Yeah, the '90s is as far away from us now as the '60s was to people in the '90s. Oh god! <laughs> I'm digging my grave at this moment. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So yeah, uh, do you have any thought? Do you want to talk about Strawberry Fields and then Penny Lane first, or do you just want to talk about dive right in to the al- album? I still need to listen to more of it. Like I've listened to it, but I need everyone's listened to Sgt. Pepper's a million times. It's like one of the most overplayed records of all time. But yeah, no, we're we're gonna discuss it. I mean, I have some yeah. notes here. So okay, so you want to talk about track by track? Okay first track is good morning or no the first track is oh my god i'm dumb the first track is sergeant pepper's only hearts club band wow <laughs> great start <laughs> i'm off to a great start here <laughs> i have such crappy notes on this is this still recording <laughs> <laughs> we're not cutting any of this this is going to be like one long discussion with all the awkwardness all the awkwardness we can fit into an hour Oh, God. The only note I have here for the first track is that I, I've never heard this song before. <laughs> before you listen to the album? Yeah, I've, I don't yeah. ever remember hearing the song. And then I said, Paul's excellent raspy voice. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's good. So that's a good note. It definitely gets you into the, like, you're, you're an audience member, like, about to view some spectacular circus yeah. event. Yeah. Billy Shear. Is that what he's saying? The, what he calls Ringo? I don't I remember. I can't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. This is really professional. <laughs> I don't know. If you've heard, I, like, I spend a lot of time listening to podcasts, like, in the background and doing whatever. And there's a lot of laughter. There's a lot of mess ups. Like, it's. And there's a lot of people saying stupid shit that they'll probably regret a few months from now so i think i think we're doing way fine. yeah that's what makes people want to be like i like that if you don't like it sorry <laughs> there's there's a picture um i can't remember i saw it on twitter or something and it was like what it feels like to listen to a podcast and it's a picture of a guy standing in front of like a, a billboard or some advertisement of a bunch of people eating ice cream and he's just sitting there like with a big smile on his face <laughs> you feel like you're a part of something like so, yeah, the next track, um, I think George Martin, he, it, like, he utilized, um, like, crossfading, so it kind of, one song, like, would blend into another, and that wasn't, I suppose, very common. And so it kind of, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, I always say Club Bland. Club Bland. Which <laughs> uh, segues, uh, like, really nicely into... Um, A little help from my friends. Ringo's song. Um, Ringo was really I read that Ringo was really bored like he didn't write any of the music it was it was basically all Paul and John and I think because Paul was kind of um, like the the very cultured 
um, member who was, you know, very like active in different like music communities. Like he was really into classical music and avant-garde music and like anything. And so he was, um, always bringing of, back something to the yeah, band. And yeah. I think that that's, that's something that's like, that's a good thing, but maybe to a certain degree because there's, you know, lots of talk of that Paul kind of was trying to take over things. And, and there's always that element of, um, egoism. Yeah. And like one upmanship and like an element of competition between John and Paul, because they're the main songwriters Mm -hmm. and they're both really um, incredible songwriters, but, um, Ringo didn't really do it. Like he just played the drums. That's all he did. And he didn't, I don't think he wanted to sing this song, but this he did eventually. And, uh, I think the first line was, you know, would you get up and walk out on me? Um, that, that, that was on the album, but the original lyrics would, were something like, would you throw tomatoes at me? (laughs) And, and Ringo was like, I'm not going to, okay. I was going to, I was going to attempt another, uh, impression, but I'm not going to do that. Um, he didn't want to do that. They had stopped, they had stopped performing live at this point. So I don't know why it was a point of contention, but Ringo said he didn't want those lyrics because he's like, he didn't want tomatoes being thrown at him because George Harrison, apparently in an interview said he really liked, um, gummy babies. And so whenever they played live, he would get like bags of gummy babies thrown at him. Oh my God. Yeah. But, uh, I think like Ringo's voice, I've said this in other albums, like it's not wonderful. It's not an amazing voice, but when a lot of songs, it's kind of endearing. Like he's, singing songs to his child that night. <laughs> so the next song is Lucy in the Sky of Diamonds. Probably one of the most overplayed Beatles songs of all time. <laughs> uh, apparently it's about a drawing that John's son Julian did and gave to his dad. Aw. Yeah. yeah. That, that's kind of cute. But uh, in an interview, I think Paul McCartney was asked about it and he was like, people were like, oh, it's uh, alluding to LSD, you know, Lucy in the Sky. Uh, with diamonds, but he was like, oh, and he just scoffed at that. But I don't know. Like, maybe they secretly were like, haha, this is funny. Yeah, I think John Lennon kind of knew at the time that obviously what what was going on with the drug culture that was emerging and everything, he was, he like picked up on that. And they had such a funny, playful um, relationship with the press and with their fans and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So he, I think he did it intentionally because if you think about it, the song is like, it's very childlike. I mean, it's based on, you know, an innocent drawing that his son did. So, and I think the lyrics were inspired by like Alice in Wonderland because they're like nonsensical and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, it's just funny that the songs are like posthumously, um, attributed to drugs yeah (laughs) when they're pretty innocent and like if you listen to the record it's so playful and fun the only thing i don't like about this song um (laughs) is uh probably john's vocals on the verses because he inhaled some helium oh yeah i was wondering (laughs) i was like why is he doing that intentionally with his voice but it was actually because they recorded two different versions of it and one was like in a different key or and it was like a slower tempo or something so they used the tape speeding technique that george martin like i guess he invented it and uh to try and match it up with like the instrumental and the vocals from a different take I believe it could like something splicing. like that. Yeah, basically, yeah. because and it's funny like we we can literally do that like on our phones. On <laughs> and our back then it garage was band. yeah, manually like people had to like the tape would be so long like when they were if they were doing like re- reversing it or doing something funky with it mm-hmm. that it was like physical manipulation so they were like holding it over like pencils or something like all around the studio and just like that's crazy. But yeah, um, because of the like drug uh, references, supposedly, in the song, um, I think this song and two other songs on the record were... Um, uh, they weren't on the re- uh, releases in some Asian countries because there were two. <laughs> That's right. I know like in later tracks, like there are also lyrics that were banned and stuff, but it's... Yeah, I didn't know that they were banned in like other countries. Uh, what is the next next track? Getting better. 
It is. Track number four. Uh, this one's interesting. The lyrics John wrote. Uh, it's kind of it has dark undertones, I think. And in an interview, John said, "It's like what is the lyric? It's like something about beating. I beat my wife. Something. It's getting yeah, better. I've been cruel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of reminds me of um, old like Elvis Presley songs. I mean, the, well, those were taken from like old blues." tunes but because it was very autobiographical in a way I kind of like Paul's later songs with the whole dance band thing but in a 1980 interview John was like he admitted yeah that was about you know past relationships and how I badly treated people in my life and yeah sad yeah it's it's funny that is it Paul that's singing that part because it sounds like I think Paul's singing most of the song, and then John yeah. is kind of in the background, and he's saying like it can't get no worse. Like it's just funny because their two personalities are so different, and you, that's just an example of it. It sounds so light too. Like oh, it's getting better, but no, it's not. <laughs> I always thought that um, George's song, like the one he wrote himself on this record, it was kind of like out of place. But the more I listen to the record, the more you can kind of hear George's. Uh, like he would use his in Indian uh, in instruments on some of the tracks. Mm -hmm. I think this one has the tempura on it too. And I'm just like, oh, there he is. So cool. Like you wouldn't know, like you really have, like Katie and I were listening to it. I'm like, what, what instrument is that? Look it up. Yeah. <laughs> because it, like, it doesn't sound like a guitar. It doesn't mm -hmm. sound like a keyboard. Uh, yeah, that's all I got. Uh, okay, track... Okay, I went from track four to track six. Okay, I don't know how to count. Whoops. Track five. Oh, it's fixing a hole. Yeah, the string arrangement on this is really nice. Uh, it's very tender, I think. George is on this track too. I, I think it's him doing the guitar solo on it, which is cool. And I think I think this song is actually more psychedelic, maybe lyrically, than even like Lucy in the Sky because I don't know, it just seems that way to me, fixing a hole where the rain gets in. Kind of like a mental thing. And I think... Surrealism. Yeah. Um, I think Paul uh, actually uh, admitted that it was an ode to marijuana, <laughs> too. Marijuana. <laughs> yeah. So it's actually more psychedelic than the songs that, you know, were banned and all. <laughs> Well, they, that went under the radar, so. That's one of the things that I like about the Beatles, that their lyrics are, for the most part, are pretty ambiguous. So they're just open to interpretation. I think that's another thing that makes a band, like, have lasting power, because it can mean one thing to the artist and then a million different things to the people who are listening to it. Next song is number six, She's Leaving Home. I like this one. I think this is one of my favorites. Um, I think it says a lot about the generation gap. Obviously, you know, a lot of kids were leaving home at that time. Britain was in a very strange state. Um, it's it's like a sympathetic portrait of the transformations that time brings about. I don't know. I like it. Mm -hmm. It's very uh, a Paul song because you can tell it's like his classical influences all over it, like the the Baroque kind of style. And um, I don't think any of the, the band members actually played any instruments on it, just Paul and John did the vocals for it. Hmm. And it's cool because Paul is singing from the point of view of the you know the daughter, I guess, and then John is singing from the parents' point of view. So it's kind of got like that different perspective. Com yeah, conversation yeah. back yeah. and forth in a way. Um, it's actually another thing, like another news article that I guess Paul had read about and it inspired the this song, the story. Um, he read about a 17-year-old named Melanie Coe, who she went missing. It turned out she had run away with her boyfriend. Mm -hmm. But um, he had actually met her, and he didn't know about it because he, he was the judge of um, some some wacky show in, like, the earlier 60s. It was, of, like, a miming contest or something, <laughs> and he was, like, the celebrity judge, and she was on the show, I guess. That's and so, so weird. he had met her without knowing that he had met her, and then he wrote a song about her. <laughs> I wonder if she's still alive. 
I don't know. I, I do know that the story kind of ended sadly because um, I read that she, like, she, she, I guess she had shacked up <laughs> with her boyfriend and she had got pregnant and returned home and had to have an abortion or something. Oh, yeah. No. I was like, oh, well, <laughs> that's not a happy ending. That's and she was young. Yeah. The, the story's, like, it's interesting how they, like, it's based in real life, but it's also this whole album takes aspects of, you know, news articles and true-to-life things and kind of meshes it together with other things that are more dreamlike and it's, it's different. What's the next one? Within You, Without You. One of my favorite Beatles songs. <laughs> You're my favorite. <laughs> That's fine. Emily's very serious. She's got her notebook. <laughs> uh, okay, so yeah. So this is uh, George's, like, as Katie said, it kind of does sound misplaced because it's so... It's so George. Because <laughs> he was traveling, you know, back and forth to India with learning the sitar with Ravi Shankar and everything. And he's the only one who plays on this. I didn't know that. I didn't even think about that. Like, yeah. there's no drums. There's no guitar. There's just, like, some padding on, like, hand drums. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I like this song because I think it's the most... It's it's for sure the most philosophical song. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, it's about karma and, like, sort of rebirth. But, like, um, it's it's like the beginning of world music almost. Like, I can't think of any other, like, popular artists that actually genuinely were interested in music that wasn't western music or whatever um but yeah it's uh it's cool because it's like it's a fusion of those things and that's i suppose what world music is but it's like not done in a way like they're just taking inspiration like just co-opting it for yeah, themselves well, he's, yeah he's yeah. like adapting it like the beatles did obviously adapt it to their audience but it wasn't in a way that was like yeah this is our own like they brought in musicians in and mm -hmm. like George Harrison spent like weeks and weeks finding the right musicians and he was just he probably was having a hell of a time yeah like he's not like he wasn't appropriating the music and stuff but he actually was like genuinely interested and genuinely appreciated like the spiritual yeah, philosophy like he became a vegetarianism and he meditated like i don't know what like spiritual thing he subscribed to but yeah that's one of the things i love about george <laughs> yeah i think it opened him up to a lot of possibilities the next track is when i'm 64. Uh, this was one of the first songs that they had recorded for, uh, during the sergeant pepper sessions with um strawberry fields forever and penny lane and it was written when Paul was like 16 years old, and they were, they performed it like it was a bop in those days. Oh, like yeah. barely, they performed it like when the crowd was going crazy, they would all gather around the piano and just sing as the Quarrymen before they were the Beatles, mm -hmm. just sing when I'm 64. I mean, the lyrics were different, but I think Paul changed it, changed like the numbers or like little things for his father's birthday, Aww. which is kind of cute. It's kind of a funny transition because it's like this very. George's song is like really mellow and transcendental, yeah. and then it's like dum -de -dum -de -dum. <laughs> it's kind of clumsy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it's cute. Yeah, it's uh, arranged in the style of twenties big band, which is it's funny. Paul had this like obsession with like dance bands and like I don't know. It's funny. <laughs> it bleeds its way through the album. Next track is "Lovely Rita." Uh, this was actually inspired by a meter maid in Liverpool. But he, I don't think he, Paul knew her name. But he was oh. just playing with words. It's like, lovely Rita meter maid. <laughs> yeah, that's one of Paul's, like, rhyming schemes and everything. It's it's funny. Like, um, and when I'm 64, what did he, he, he rhymes Vera, Chuck, and Dave with something. Because <laughs> Dave sounds like it's <laughs> such a strange name for your grandchild. I don't know. David. <laughs> Yeah, I like his, uh, his, his writing schemes. It's cute. Um, Paul McCartney and George Martin played both pianos in this, and George Martin played, like, the more honky-tonk, like, interlude part. It's pretty cool. It's a fun little ditty. 
Yeah, play it no. for your for your cousins, for your grandkids. <laughs> yeah. Next track is Good Morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, John wrote this. I guess he was, you know, they'd be in their hotel rooms. They'd have little TVs, you know, after every show. There'd be a lot of TV watching, and he wrote this after he kept seeing this ad for cornflakes. It's like, good morning, good morning. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of cute. Um, John also said it was a throwaway song. He's like, this is garbage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's it's yeah. so fun. It's it's cute. Yeah, I don't. It's not one of my favorites on the album. Yeah, it's not a standout, but it ain't a throwaway. Yeah, it's cool because I mean, all the animal noises. The animal sounds are, I think people relate them to pet sounds because uh-huh. there was this thing going on with the Beach Boys and the Beatles, like Revolver inspired Brian Wilson so much, he wanted to one-up the Beatles, basically. And so he, that was kind of like some inspiration for pet sounds. And then the Beatles heard pet sounds and they loved it. <laughs> so well, I was just thinking, this just came into my mind. Where does Simon and Garfunkel come in with this? Because Bookends came out in 1969. Yeah. And they had the song At the Zoo. Oh, yeah. And it had all those <laughs> animal sounds. Yeah. So it's like, at the same time, there was like the circle. Oh, yeah, this band's doing like, mm-hmm. gotta bring some animal noises in here. I also really like that song. Everyone check out the song At the Zoo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then Paul has a cool solo. Oh, yeah. Rocking out. The animal noises in this were, like, dubbed in from, like, Atron's request from what animal could, like, eat the next animal type Well, thing. there's an elephant sound, and then there's a dog barking, so I'm like, maybe George Martin <laughs> messed up. <laughs> I guess, or, because elephants, no. I guess a pack of dogs could eat an elephant, but I don't want to think about that. Yeah. George, that's, that's, I mean, not George, John, that's a bit, that's a bit cruel. He was the dark... Dark boy in the in the group, dark beetle boy. <laughs> yeah. Next track is Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band reprise. Reprise, prize, prize. Yeah. Um, not much to say about this song. I mean, I think one of the engineers or something or whoever is working on the album is actually it wasn't one of the Beatles' ideas to have it, so he suggested it, and I think John said something along the lines of like. What a stupid idea. <laughs> and he was like, <laughs> at that point, I knew they liked it. <laughs> yeah, all three so. Beatles shared the vocal on that one. Yeah. Which is cute. You can kind of see them in the old videos, like yeah. all sharing one mic. Yeah. Um, it, I think it's like the most rocky, the rockiest song probably on this. It's a rocker. <laughs> yeah. On, the, on this one. Because like, I, there's no orchestra or anything like that. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah. yeah. It's a good tune. And it's a good transition for the final song, which is my favorite, uh, A Day in the Life. Yeah, this is an iconic song for the Beatles. I can't speak. Uh, This took a 41-piece orchestra, which is cool. It's insane, yeah. um, You can tell Paul McCartney was listening to, like, a lot of, like, experimental classical music, like John Cage and stuff like that. Um... Uh, when I was listening to um, like Sergeant Pepper's sessions, like the discarded stuff, I guess, the piano, the big piano break was actually supposed to be a giant ohm. Really? So yeah, so it, and I think it was the same note that they were hitting to, some note in the E major chord, which is what all the pianos are hitting. There's mm-hmm. nine pianos, and I think there's only eight people playing the pianos because I believe two of the Beatles, like George and Paul were sharing the same piano, so they're all hitting. And George Martin was in on it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it's really cool to hear like how many like tries it took to get it just right. And I think that's like Paul McCartney's like perfectionism coming in. Oh yeah. But um yeah, it's it had that element uh, with, with the orchestra because it, what's it called? It's aleatorical, which is like leaving something up to chance, like just giving a vague direction and then just letting you know what happens happens so I, I can't remember what the direction was basically like start on the lowest note of this chord which is the a major chord mm-hmm. and then like on your instrument to each of the people in the orchestra and then go up to the highest that oh. you can on your instrument so that's what gives that big swell of, and it sounds it's so cool and then it ends perfectly with that that's piano so cool. hit. yeah that so word cool. what an allegorical 
Aleatoric. That is actually very Brian Eno. Obviously, he yeah. came way after yeah. the Beatles, but he has like. Brian Eno has all these things going on, apps and things yeah, like that. Yeah, it's more technological. Has, yeah, like he has like a. It's kind of like a card game type thing. It's mm-hmm. a similar thing, leaving leaving things up to chance or like just giving vague instructions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it's always interesting when musicians kind of take advantage of that. Yeah, it's it's like le- it's letting go of control because, yeah, you're just, you know, all right, <laughs> I'm open, just do this. Mm. It's really cool. Um, yeah. I don't know what inspired the lyrics to A Day in the Life, but... Uh, it was newspaper, more newspaper articles. Of course. That's what I read, yeah. I don't, I never read the news. <laughs> Even if I was a creative genius, I don't think anything in the news would inspire me to write anything. Well, I think newspapers are very, like, no one picks up a newspaper to read it anymore. Yeah, but I mean, we think it's like, you know, the 24-hour news cycle is constantly going, and like, there's always, everyone always has access to every piece of information ever on their, like, cell phones and stuff like that. So, I don't know. Yeah, um, the ending to this, though. John Lennon wanted, like, a high-pitched dog. (laughs) Yeah, is that another Pet Sounds callback? Yeah, it's strange. And there was other things spliced in, like, Paul saying something. I forget what the sentence is. Oh, it's like, never could see any other way or something. Yeah, and it's just, like, all messed up. It's, like, weird conversational sounds. Yeah. I think they they put that in kind of, like, as a joke. And it's very of the time, too, because... Mm -hmm. On, on a record when you know when it stopped it would sometimes be faulty or, yeah. yeah and you'd have to ma- get up manually turn it off and mm-hmm. so I think that was kind of like yeah that was just another because playful what's wrong with my vinyl yeah that's a, yeah I wonder like, what what it would have been like to hear that for like what the hell <laughs> did they make I, a mistake I actually want to know if any dogs freaked out like yeah that'd be cool there's actually um before I like knew a lot about the Beatles um back in high school I suppose uh there's a song by Brand New called Play Crack the Sky and it's very like it's a very intimate type song like you can hear uh Jesse Lacey the vocalist he opens a door and you hear it squeak and you hear it close and he comes in he just plays the song just him and an acoustic it's a very like very melodramatic (laughs) song um and at the end, he, you know, puts his guitar down, he gets up, and, he, and then he sings that part. He's like, never could see any other way. And then he walks out. So it's kind of like a cute little Beatles. That's so weird. Yeah, Easter egg or whatever. There are probably so many songs that exist that maybe like, artists that we listen to that allude to the Beatles. And because I'm, I've never delved into, like, their demos and yeah. every single isolated vocal that exists. Yeah, yeah. No idea. <laughs> yeah. But I guess we'll keep finding the Easter eggs. Yep, I'm kind of excited to move on from the Beatles. There, there are like seven more Beatles. I know, on this I know. List. But like in between, yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna Garfunkel once. Garfunkel, <laughs> Garfunkel, <laughs> Garfunkel. One is coming up, and uh, the Clash, I think. Yeah, the Clash. I'm excited for that. And Jeff Buckley, I think he's maybe he's changed on the number list, but he was like number thirty. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking maybe we should just do the next couple Beatles albums, like, kind of put them together and just compare and contrast or something, just so we don't have to keep going back to the Beatles over and over again. Yeah, just because we've already done... This is the second Beatles album. We don't want to be like, here's another one, guys. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But it'll be fun. Yeah. So I guess that sums up everything we want to talk about with Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band by the Beatles. The next pod will be about... Rolling Stones Exile on Main Street. So thanks for listening and we'll see you then. Ta ta. Peace. <laughs>